everybody, welcome to Player 456, a Squid Game podcast, the most listened to and best Squid Game podcast on the internet, basically. And joining me as always to take a deep dive into episode 5, A Fair World, is Colin McMillan. How are you? I am good, mate. Yeah, very, very good. I'm thoroughly looking forward to discussing this one. Um, I enjoyed watching this one back. Um, we spoke a little bit off air, mate, about this episode and that first time we watched the show, this episode doesn't really stand out. It's not got any of the big, massive, real set pieces that some of the other episodes do. But on kind of watching it back and keeping a keen eye on it for the properties of this show, there's plenty going on, actually. And it's actually a very good episode. I enjoyed it more second time round, for sure. I do remember, not that I wasn't looking forward to covering this one, but thinking to myself, there's not a main event in this game, in this episode, sorry, and was a little bit dubious, perhaps, but on second watch, it's got lots of throwbacks. It hits on certain themes again that we will get to, and yeah, I enjoyed it more second time, basically. So if you've not watched it for a second time and you're thinking to yourself, this was a bit of a downer of an episode. It's really not. If you watch it back, there's lots of stuff to get our teeth into here, Colin. So what, what happens at the beginning? Because I was pretty throwaway, commenty about the the cliffhanger. But when this started, it's pretty tense, man, because it's been a week since I watched the last episode, which obviously you're not meant to do with Squid Game, but it was tense at the beginning. It was. They, they, they don't do the typical previously on Squid Game. They just get right back to the action. But what they did on this one, which was quite interesting, was they did wheel it back a little bit. And you actually saw um, them, Sangwoo, coming up with the idea, convincing them of it. And then rather than the cliffhanger and the cut point that you saw in the previous episode, it just rolled on. Um, which kind of was what you'd have liked to have seen last week. So at least you got that this week and just saw it all in one sort of take. And he convinces uh, the team to take the, that those big three steps forward. And uh, it does completely put the other team off balance. They fall over and they're they're able to get the upper hand at this point, Jack. Um, it's still super tense, especially when they start marching forward because our man at the front is actually right off the off the platform. He has to actually get pulled back uh, on there to, to keep them going. So I was really happy how they did this. I thought it was quite clever. And for him, it wasn't keen on the cliffhanger the previous week. They treated it really, really well, I think. We've spoke about the use of the soundtrack, obviously, it's the lack of the soundtrack here that really sort of sticks out to me. The the camera sort of pans over the whole team who are lying there in the, on the platform, out of breath, face faces all twisted. There's no joy there. There's no sort of celebration. There's this sort of overwhelming reality on their faces. They've just killed 10 other people. I don't know how you deal with that. There's no dialogue at all, mate. And it's just the use of silence rather than the use of music here was, again, I thought was really, really good. Really enjoyed it, man. The acting here is is good, even though some people think it's hammy, including myself at points, but really good here. Excellent. Yeah, it's quite chilling um, when you when you see the reality kind of dawning on these people that their lives have just been saved, but there's, there's no joy in it. There's no celebration. They can't be happy about it because... They've just all became killers, basically. The big thing for me, like you say, people have criticised the show for the acting, um, saying it's a bit much at times, it's stage school-like, it's hammy, as you say, as well. This is one of the few parts of the show where, like you say, with no dialogue, the actors are actually just able to tell their, use their faces to tell the story. 
there's no dubbing, there's no reading subtitles, it's just looking into somebody's face. And all of our heroes do a fantastic job lying on that platform to kind of display the horrors of what they've just gone through. It's it's absolutely brilliant. Now, we've been contacted by quite a lot of people from all over the world, and we'll get to some of them later on in our questions, queries and theories, but one person, I think it may have been Gavin on Twitter, had mentioned that there was a sort of theory that Player One's wasn't connected to the rope. So I watched this back a couple of times. His hand is the only one that's covering the rope as they pan over, so he might not be connected to it. Is he he, they hiding something here? Did Did you notice this at all? I did. I noticed the, the kind of the belief that's out there that he wasn't sort. Of, they're all sort. Of, it's not handcuffed, but they're all sort of chained to the rope, sort of thing. So that if they, they're, they're all involved, basically. And there was parts where he doesn't look as if he is, but there is a couple of um, screenshots that I have seen where he hundred percent is. He's got the chains round his out round his arms. He's very much connected. But like I say, there is sections of the show where it looks like he isn't. And I wonder if that is deliberate to make you wonder, mate, um, because that's what this show kind of does in places. Yeah, and just to highlight the fact that there's, there's no winners, there's some serious losers, but they, they show you the image of the other team all dead on the the floor below. Now, is this where the, the forklifts come in at this point, mate? And they're even pink and nice looking, like nice wee forklifts coming to take the, the dead bodies away. But yeah, like you said, there are... There are no winners here. This is a something that I don't know how people deal with it or could deal with it. You've just killed ten people, but you've survived. Survivor's guilt is a thing. So I just don't know. But yeah, the use of silence and the things that we mentioned there, the black and white with the, the pink forklifts picking up dead people again, just just the yin and yang that runs throughout the show Colin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Fortless Being Pinks are a great shout, actually, because it's another example of the detail that's put into the the settings of these games, of these challenges, which are done by, obviously, the company behind the actual tournament. Is that they do that, and it's funny, Jack, because this is a tournament that's set up for VIPs eh, to go and watch, and it's them that are financing it, it's their money that makes it all possible. But you would think that, in terms of the sets, in terms of the colours and stuff, probably isn't all that important because it's not like this is something that's going out on TV. People aren't tuning in at home and watching this. So you you could expect it to be a little bit grubbier at times and not to have the attention to detail that they've put into these games. But they have, um, which gives you an idea of how much these VIPs are paying and how immersive they want the whole thing to be. And that even the forklifts that pick up the dead are coloured in bright pink and in, in theme with the setting. I think this is the first episode the VIPs are specifically mentioned. I just found it quite interesting that you're watching it on TV and it's easy to forget that this isn't a TV show that's on the air in Korea or anywhere else. This is just a games on an island that people are getting put through for some rich people's kicks. But the detail they're going to making the whole thing look amazing is above and beyond, really. We mentioned the lift ride up and the timing of it, how player 001 could tell his story about how to win Tug of War. It's kind of the same going down the way. This is like a TARDIS lift that seems to take ages to go down because quite a lot happens in the lift on the way down, so it does. Yeah, it does. There's there's a fair bit of debate between the players. Um, one of the newer members of the team, player 244, drops to his knees and starts praying to God, thanking God that he's allowed them to live and he's chanting away. And uh, this, this annoys the, one of the other new female members of the team, player 240. 
she actually calls him out on it and tells him that he should actually be thanking the old man and Sang Wu because that's the people that gave him the advice on how to win the game and keep up with the, the trick at the end from Sang Wu's point of view. It was them that saved him, not God. Um, she even goes as far to actually start mocking him by doing a little bit of a, a, a fake prayer, uh, a, a quite kind of piss-taking one, you, you could say. And it's, it's not the nicest of things to be doing, but that's what she does. But religion's quite a big quite a, a big thing for some of these characters, isn't it? It comes up a few times in the show. Well, 244 is quite an interesting character. I think we're going to get to him later. For all his God-worshipping, if you want to call it that, he's pretty rapid to suggest murdering people later on in this episode. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty quick to go, let's kill people. Now, I think I'm in love, and it's with 240. I think she's I think she's a brilliant character. She's so cool, and I think I agree with her here, very much so. Like, things like this annoy me. I'm an atheist, right? I'm not going to push that into anybody's face, but when people thank the Lord for things that have clearly just been done by real people, especially when it comes to doctors and things like that. Oh, thank the Lord. Yeah, but what about the doctor? And in this case, uh, what about Shang Wu and Il Nam, basically, who have saved the day? So I tend to agree with her. I think her outlooks on life maybe line up a little bit. Plus, she is, she's, she's, a, she's a beautiful-looking lady as well. Her whole demeanour is more what I'm attracted to. I just think she's cool. She's laid back. And... She's got balls, you know, she's she's not scared to put her point across. So yeah, big fan, big fan of 240 and I keep saying we'll get to Marbles and I call it the Marbles episode, it's called Gangbu, but we'll get there next week with uh, the saddest thing in, in, the whole, in the whole wide world. I'm, all, I'm really crying already, but looked into it a little bit just to see like if religion is a big thing in South Korea. Uh, and found out something that kind of surprised me, that the majority of South Koreans actually have no religion. Whereas, uh, if they do, it is either Buddhism or Christianity. So praying to God sort of makes sense here. But, yeah, most of them don't, which... I don't know, I had in my head that they would be very religious over there, but maybe I'm getting just mixed up with the eastern part of the world um, from where we stay, obviously. So that surprised me a little bit, but... Yeah, Christianity. So this guy praying to God does make sense. It, it does make sense. Like I, I, I get why if, if you're religious, then it's exactly the time you are probably going to do it. But to go back to your earlier point, people do pray to God to thank him when things go right. They, they're not so quick to pray to God and say, mate, something awful just happened. Why did you do that to me? <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a whole different subject and a whole different show, to be fair. Our other hero, um, Sabiok, let's, let's, let's pretend that's how you say her name, she cuts in at this point and tells the two of them to shut up. And that starts a conversation between her and 240, where 240 um, asks her what her name is, and she just refuses to give it, Jack. Uh, I'm not telling you my name. My name doesn't matter. Just leave me alone. This was quite a surprising scene, because it was obviously Sabiok that brought 240 into the game. She brought her into the group when they were putting the tug-of-war together. But she's immediately went pretty cold on her, and it's just another kind of example of her coldness and her lack of desire to become friends with the group, to trust the group, and become really one of the, the gang, so to speak. She's still very much separated, isn't she? Yes, she is, and again, I'm going back to 240 pretty quickly here. I think she's cool here when she gets knocked back for a name. She basically just shrugs it off. Like she asks, well, why do you want to know my name? So I can call you it, I think is basically her reply. Like, 
because people know each other's names. So I don't think it's that strange a question, but if you don't want to give me it, then we're just going to move on. But they do get back into the room eventually, Colin, and uh, Jock Shooney's men, his nine other men, are sitting there having a bit of a laugh, basically, but then realise that this team has survived because they would have expected them to get beat. Did they see the draw? Did they see that they were against 10 men? Can you remember? I think they were kind of walking down the platform away. They would have walked past them, actually. Yeah, there yeah. was a walking past section. They actually did walk past the team. I don't know if they would have seen the, the opponents at that point, but they were about. There's a real juxtaposition here between the two teams at this point. They're the first two teams that are back. You've just seen this like horrific scene of our guys on the platform, all gutted. You've then seen the conversation in the lift, where again, you can tell people are quite affected by what's happening. You go back into the room and this other team are just sitting having a laugh, pretty jovial. They're happy, they're celebrating, they're delighted that they've won and they're chatting away and having having a great laugh with each other. It's just another example kind of, of the difference between the people in this game eh, compared to, I know I keep calling them our heroes, it's just the best term for them, I think, um, in comparison to this group of bastards. And this is a good example of how affecting this trial was or this challenge was for one of the teams and how the other one really just doesn't give a shit what they've just done. They've just killed 10 people and they don't give a toss. Yeah, they kind of cut back to the staff here, I think, at some point, and there's sort of shots of the bodies being scooped into coffins, and they're sort of using a pressure washer, basically, to hose the the blood away. The, the colours here are very much black and almost pink. Uh, the blood is black-pink, almost. Like, there's that. I don't know, if, again, if I'm looking too far into this. Have you seen the Instagram posts, actually, of uh, the guy that plays Jihoon with one of uh, Janine, I think, from Blackpink? All over the place now. No, I haven't seen it. Is it? Does it look pretty cool? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if they're in a relationship or anything like that. But they've been pictured together at a few events and things like that. So again, there's this black pink thing that just links in in the background somewhere in Squid Game. There's something going on definitely. And season two, we might need to wait a couple of years for it. But it's going to be dead interesting. Um, like I said before, they get they actually get credits. Some of the members of Black Pink in the last episode, which we will. We will get to. This episode sort of chopping changes basically between the players and what uh, John Ho is doing, really. And what happens here in the sort of the furnace room, we get to see more detail about what's happening with these, I was going to say these criminals, they're all sort of criminals, but you know what I mean, the sort of separate criminals doing their August harvesting. Yeah, you get to see a bit more of the side hustle, so to speak, don't you? Basically in the furnace room, the circle guards are burning the bodies of the dead. One of them, however, signals to the security camera and from the control room you see another square guard release um, one of the caskets um, just before turning the furnace on. So this was something I missed the first time I watched it, Jack. It shows you the coffin inside the furnace, but the floor of the furnace just opens up. The casket disappears. The guy presses the burn burn button and to everybody else's thoughts, that casket's in there burning to a crisp. But it's not actually. It's fallen down to a room somewhere below and there's two triangle guards in there. They open it up, and they're a bit surprised to find the guy in it already dead because the coffin mate has that mark of the cross that we spoke about in previous episodes, which seems to be what they use when they put in somebody that's still alive so that they can do their ba- do their bit with them. Um, obviously, the guy being dead means that they have to move pretty quickly, and that means they have to get the doctor ASAP, don't they? Yeah, in my notes, I had uh, bullet-pointed sneaky incinerator, that's what I had written down to remind me of this, because I didn't notice it first time either, Colin, I don't know what was what was happening then, but that's 
that's pretty sneaky. And again, it sort of raises more questions. Have this band of criminals been doing this for so long that they've set up this within the Squid Game so that they can then steal bodies? And how long would it take for somebody to set that up? Like, they do, we'll get to it in the future, there's tunnels that lead outside that would have taken a long time to build, but are they just for the VIPs and it's just luck that they can then use them? Because luck comes up in this episode quite a lot because you've got to think that the policeman, uh, John Ho, it's usually bad luck in this, but he has been pretty lucky so far in the sense of the way he's sort of fell into being number 29. Seems to only be 28, 29 and three or four other guards and staff members that are doing this, that are stealing the organs. And that gives him the opportunity to go behind the scenes, basically. And he does do that in this episode. So he has some good luck up against everybody else seems to be having bad luck. And I don't know if it's a, a commentary on being a moral upstanding police officer and that will bring you a little bit of good luck Yeah. in saying that something does happen to him in a couple of episodes that we'll, we'll get to that's really unlucky <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not but yeah luck in this episode seems to be a thing and John Ho has had a little bit of luck although he does ride it in this episode he does um, he gets a bit of luck he's also quite quick on his feet isn't he and some of the luck just comes from other characters mate getting involved and shouting stuff and distracting other people from him it's yeah. it's all different stuff that goes on we back in the main room I think yeah yeah we go back to the main room and we get a player and a prize update there's 40 players left and the prize total is sitting at 41.6 billion we're looking at their group of I keep saying heroes mate I don't know if that's the term we want to keep using but yes. our heroes um, me and you um, is the quickest one out of them all to kind of snap out of the gloom and start being go back to our usual self. Just eating a corn in the cob. Um, I wanted to ask your thoughts on this, Jack. Um, we've discussed the meals so far. Um, an egg and some Sprite previously. It looks like a shitty corn in the cob was the dinner this time. They're, they're <laughs> not exactly feeding them up and giving them, putting them in best athletic condition for these games, are they? No, they are not. And I had corn on the cob last night with my dinner <laughs> <laughs> for the first time in a long, long time. And I really enjoyed it, but it was it was covered in butter and salt and pepper and things like that, and it made it taste really lovely. I presume this is just a plain corn on the cob. I don't think there's any melted pack or anything like that on it, Colin. So yeah, it's not a great a great meal. There's a, some references here to a Hollywood film. There is, yes, yeah. yeah. So she starts kind of playing back the highlights of the of the tug of war win. She references the old man with the Matrix, um, which which comes up, which was a reference I wasn't really expecting, but. You've done your usual and found out that The Matrix Reloaded, which I think is the third film, yeah. um, is the 11th uh, kind of most successful film in South Korean box office history, which surprises me because The Matrix is phenomenal, but the sequels were absolutely toilet. Yeah, that's for Hollywood films. It's not the 11th biggest film in South Korean box office history. Just for the Hollywood ones? Yes. Right, okay. And that surprised me because I expected that The Matrix might have been there and that would make sense but yeah. not The Matrix Reloaded coming in at number 11 because that is, really is the worst one. But we're not here to speak about The Matrix. But yeah, that surprised me a little bit that that was, that was so high up and it wasn't just the first Matrix. Yeah, she then turns her praise over to Sangwoo, basically saying, like, what a great idea, what an inspiration. I love it. It was brilliant. The real hero of the piece gets involved now, Ali, and he questions her quite boldly, saying, well, when he suggested it, you were crying. 
and you were saying you were scared and you didn't want to do it. Um, you thought you were going to die. So why are you saying now that it was such a good idea and you were on board from the start? Forty's trouble just gets a bit of racism back. Yeah, she becomes a racist asshole here, man. Yeah. Really quickly. Yeah, have you got a visa? You're an illegal alien, is what she says to him. She then turns to the group, just gives him a bit of racism, then ignores him, and tells the rest of the group, um, shall we look at a wee bit of a restructure here and ditch the foreigner? Let's get rid of him and restructure this team, which thankfully um, nobody else uh, gets on board with. Yeah, she's sort of looking, she says, like, who's the captain here? Who's the boss? And it's, she kind of turns to Sang Wu. Now, what she does here is she uses nicknames, right? And I always find that in TV shows, people that use nicknames are generally assholes. And it really reminded me of Sawyer from Lost. Ah. Constantly, because it's such a not nice way of handling somebody, is I don't want to know your name. You're getting called Mr. Brains yeah. because you've got a little bit of cleverness about you. And Sawyer done that with everybody. Hey, glasses. Yeah, Freckles, Dr. Tubby. Exactly, yes. And I think it's a real asshole trait and a real trope used in films just to say this person's being an asshole by using a nickname. And I thought Mr. Brains was quite good, but for Sangmu, <laughs> because I hate Sangmu, um, everybody does. Yeah, yeah, that reminded me of Lo- uh, Lost and Sawyer, basically. Yeah, and she does go through a little bit of a, a, um, a metamorphosis in this show, this character, and she does become better. I don't think she goes through as big a one as Sawyer goes through, unfortunately. But yeah, it's a good it's a good reference. I like it. She carries on with this restructure chat and she actually asks the team, who's the captain? Let's do something here. Sangwoo jumps in really quickly to tell her that they're a team. There is no captain. Um, and at this point, Sangwoo actually references what we all kind of thought he'd, he'd realised already, that the other team, the team of bastards, so to speak, they got a bunch of big men in their team ahead of the tug of war, almost as if they knew what was coming up. So he's already got the wheel starting in his head that they're ahead of the game a little bit and they knew and he's wanting to know why. Yeah. So Mr. Brains has basically figured things out a little bit and Jihoon sort of looks up at him in awe again. He still seems to be a little bit in awe of his clever friend at times as if, wow, you figured that out. It's back to the big announcement, but the woman's voice comes over and it's just the use of the word bedtime again that I find funny and it's so childish, like you've got a bedtime, you yeah. need to get to bed. Jihan and Sangwoo's team pretty scared at this point. They fear that there's going to be another murder game, basically. And they think that nobody's going to have learned from the previous game. And player 196 here um, says they've got absolutely no hope of surviving any sort of enemy attack, considering they've got three women and an old man. Uh, literally after just winning a game with that team, um, he thinks they've got no chance. This is 244 again. Take it away, man, because he's pretty rapidly in here. Like, let's uh, let's go kill people um, after praying to God about five minutes ago. Yeah, so two four four is one praying to God, the religious guy, the the guy that's got one eye in religion and stuff like that. And his immediate reaction to this is, let's pick the weakest team, attack them first, and kill them. I don't know if that was a message from his God that he got back from his prayer, but it was it was just it was a jump from the guy in the lift that was praying to his God to suddenly become the most bloodthirsty of of our group. But once again, player 240 is not having it, and neither Sibiok either. She recalls the story of seeing a man murdered by one of his own team in the other fight, and she turns to the team and says, do you trust me? Because I certainly don't trust any of you. It's Jihan that comes up with the solution that rather than fighting, let's defend. Let's defend. Um, and they start building a barricade, and they decide to take turns, mate, standing guard to make sure they'll live to see another day. 
And the U's are basically a structure made up of bed frames and bed sheets. And I wanted to ask you, what good did you think this structure would, would have done if, if things had turned nasty? Other than perhaps slow down the, the people getting to them slightly, I, I don't think it was particularly going to keep anybody out. Some bed sheets and some bed frames, mate, do you? Not particularly, but I do think it's a not bad idea to have teams of two on watch, basically, and have some sort of protection there for the sleeping, your sleeping team. So I don't think it's a terrible plan. They only had half an hour to figure it out because bedtime was announced. You know, they've got like nine minutes to build something, so they may as well put something up. I don't think it's a terrible plan, to be perfectly honest with you. At this point, I'm really I'm quite keen to highlight how keen player one is to share time with player four, five, six. He really wants to share time with him. He wants to share guard duty with him. And again, we'll, we'll probably get to, to what happens um, when they when they do have a conversation later on and whether that conversation is w- what it means, basically, and how good an actor player <laughs> zero, zero, 001 is. But yeah, I thought it was a not bad plan, to be perfectly honest with you, mate. I don't... It, it's not so much that. It's more what Ji-Hoon does next that's the most clever bit of the plan, Colin. It, he plays a little bit of men games with the gangster here. He does, yeah. He he does he does a move that you would actually have expected Sang Wu or something to come out with. It's not it doesn't really stick in with the sort of stuff you've seen him doing so far. He's been brave so far. He's been courageous, but he hasn't really shown the skills of the brain and manipulating people. But that's exactly what he does here with Jok Su. Um Jok Su comes over, tries to scare him, saying that his barricades won't stop him from killing them. But Chi Hun and it echoes kind of what he's just heard and, and asks him well, can you really trust your own team? If I was one of your guys, the first chance I get, I'm taking you out because you're probably the strongest person in this game. So lights go out. You're interested in trying to get somebody. I'd be getting you. And for the first time, Juxa looks a little bit weak here. He looks as if he's actually taking this on board and he goes back to his side of the room and tells his men that are all up for a fight. They're, they're starting to get weapons together. They're almost in a bit of a warm-up. But he actually says to the guys, no, listen, rest for tonight. We need to get some sleep, and that's the the, the the fight night called off, basically. See, that's interesting that you mentioned there about them warming up. I took that as them being kids again and just playing a game of swords. Oh, yeah, it could be, could be that as well, yeah. I just saw it as guys that they'd already picked up their weapons and they were just desperate to start using them, and they started hitting each other with them and stuff like that. But I think it's a childish thing. I think it's a callback to child because they looked like they were like jumping about and sort of prancing, basically, and having a bit of a laugh about it. I don't think they were particularly warming up, but I suppose that's the beauty of having two sets of eyes in the shows. People see things different ways, but the first two that are up in guard, basically, at the barricade are Ali and sang who bond over some shared food and a little bit of Ali's life story. He's still pretty thankful that sang helped him, so he offers him his corn cob for dinner basically that he's saved up and Sangwe gives half of them back now is it round about here that Sangwe starts to speak about betrayal uh, I'm pretty sure it's round about here anyway and it's just again you're just sitting thinking really mate you going <laughs> on about betrayal I can't take it what we do find out about Ali but is that he's 33 years old so that's a number that's a number tell us about it this is a master number in numerology, basically, so master numbers are double digits. 11, 22, 33, 44, I think. 33 is actually the strongest of these. Uh, and it represents, listen to this, this is perfect, pure love, 
Its heart is made of nothing but bright warm light and the universe has trusted it to shine this light on humanity. Wow. There we are. That's our boy in it. They have got to have given him the age of 33 because <laughs> of that. They can't not have. In my eyes, anyway. Yeah, no, they have to. Yeah, it's got responsibility for the greater good and it is 33's responsibility to support and uplift humankind and bring compassion to the world. And he, he's doing that by reaching out to Sangwoo. He's giving him his cord in the cob and they're having a chat. They they talk a little bit about why Ali found himself in the games. You find out a bit about his family life. You find out about his child. And Sangwoo basically takes the cord in the cob, splits it in two, gives him half back. And there's another example here coming up, Jack, of some of the little subtle differences between dubbing and subtitles. They seem to have almost forced a bit of a friendship of sorts at this point between the two, which is lovely. And Sangwoo tells Ali to stop calling him Sir. However, on the dubbing version, he's telling him to stop calling him Mister. Right. Not a massive difference, but a subtle difference nonetheless between Sir and Mister. There is a there's a, there's, there is a difference between those two for me. Yeah, I definitely think there is, and we we spoke about the the language and stuff like that before. But what we'll do now is we're going to get to your section of the show with some questions, queries, and theories. Questions, queries, theories. Gavin has been hi four five sixers. Just before we get to your part of the show, we would like to let you know that we also do a show called Wrong Term Memory, where we cover some true crime, some nineties pop culture, a little bit of history, some science, a whole range of things really. Yeah, so if you enjoy listening to us and not just listening to us talking about Squid Game, then just search in your podcast app of choice for Wrong Term Memory or visit our website at wrongtermemory.com. If you don't fancy doing that, you can offer your support for Player 456 by leaving a review or rating. Now, on with the show. In contact through Twitter, Colin. Hi, guys. I'm re-watching the episodes and listening to the pods afterwards. Good stuff, Gavin. Thank you. During the Killing Gang episode, you mentioned the front man is watching the chaos on the infrared camera. Did you notice the start of the infrared cameras? Two cameras on two of the people have triangles on them. No. Then when 001 is on top, shouting that he's scared he has a triangle on him. Is this an other hint that the old man being watched and maybe protected during this scene also was the other triangle on 456? I didn't notice that, and if that is something that is true, where it's triangles over these specific characters, then yeah, I think it's definitely been put in there for a reason. I can't fact check that because I didn't notice the first time round. But what do you think, Colin? Do you think that's a, another hint towards the triangles being the, the top of the tree? But they're not even, they're the middle guys, yeah. But is it a hint then that we need to look after them? Or is Gavin going wild like us and just looking into things too much? Maybe, maybe he is. I, I would imagine that we know they've got some sort of chip in their necks that, that they're able to scan and find out information from. I would imagine every player in the game is capable of having a triangle above their head if they need to, in terms of watch certain people and zone in on what they're doing from a camera's point of view. I don't think it's just these two, but that's the two that they're choosing to watch for some reason, Jack. We, we obviously know why they're watching 001 at this point. If it was 456, we're not too sure at this point why that would be. We were watching this for the first time and you're just thinking it's a nice wee bromance starting between these two. You, you realise further on that there's, there's more to it and more sort of myths coming up and more ideologies around it, but I do think that any player could have had the triangle above them. It's just almost a 
infrared thing and how you track this, make sure you're watching the people you want to watch the, the thing for me is not they just got a triangle it's why they chose to focus on those guys out of everybody else yeah I think you're going off your nut Gavin like I do sometimes maybe looking a little bit too much into it I think Colin might be right there it's just why they're watching them it might not be there there is a triangle over them I do remember that but I don't know if it's specifically for them you see in the you see in the in the kind of control room as well you've got those that triangle on the floor which has got their picture on it and their number above it which lights up as they're when they're alive and goes out when they're dead sort of thing so there's another link to the triangle in that as well in the numbers and I'm sure it's just all linked and it's part of the the CCTV system, which I do want to talk about later on because I've got queries about the CCTV and how they delete footage, but that's one for tomorrow's episode. <laughs> and this is absolutely to wrap up the content that we are after from you guys, and it's Kat on Twitter has been in contact. And she actually gives Pamela, who sent in another question, a shout-out. So that is our listeners now interacting with each other, which we love. You read this one, Colin, because this is what we're after. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and talking to each other is amazing. That's community building. That's lovely. So Kat on Twitter, um, I've just finished your last episode of Hell. And Ari Pamela's question, I'm Korean and I absolutely, and I say that that way because it's all in capital letters, eat ramen uncooked. You crush up the noodles and you shake them in the bag with the seasoning and it's like ramen flavoured crisps. It's a childhood favourite. I'm going to do that. I'm oh, going you're not. To do it. I am. <laughs> oh, me. Oh, dear. I tell um, you what, no. I will do it before tomorrow's episode and I'm going to report back on it and let you know, Colin. Okay, well, we're planning on watching the Marbles show together. We're actually going to get together to do that one. So if it's good, I'll get some ramen in for us and we'll actually have some ramen snacks for watching the Marbles episode, mate, right? Right. Sounds like a plan. But as always, Colin, cheers. Absolute pleasure, mate. Speak to you tomorrow. And everybody for tuning in, we will speak to you tomorrow. 